limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 4th, 2018, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We've been looking forward to this show tonight with our distinguished guest, Stephen Bassett, who is the executive director of Paradigm Research Group, which is PRG, founded in 1996 to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomenon. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of formal disclosure by world governments of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race, and he has given over a thousand radio and television interviews. PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media, including being featured by CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, The Washington Post, The New York Times, New York Magazine, Washington, Washington Times, and Chicago Tribune. In 2013, PRG produced a citizen hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington. In November of 2014, PRG launched two political initiatives in Washington, D.C. One sought the first hearings on Capitol Hill since 1968 regarding the extraterrestrial presence issue. The other sought to inject the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. Bassett has appeared in many documentary films, and his lectures and interviews are well represented on YouTube. And you can visit his website, which is paradigmresearchgroup.org. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we would like to thank Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight. Uh, for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk Radio. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you can get our weekly show notices if you elect to have those notifications. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that solar return chart, you'll need to order it at least three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours, because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her very popular Starseed News. Let me get your mic open there. Here, it's spinning, it's spinning. Okay, there you are. Hey, Anastasia. Yes, here I am. Good evening. Hey. Ariel, good it's evening. good to be with you. It's going to be a great show tonight. 
We'll get it sure is. News so we can get to our guests. Uh, the okay. sun is blank right now. No sunspots. But there is a solar wind that's incoming. This is a fast stream of solar wind that's approaching our Earth. Estimated time of arrival is September 7th. The gaseous material is flowing from a large hole in the sun's atmosphere. And the heat in my region has been particularly intense, or rather withering. Although the heat seems to be backing off, the plants in the garden uh, seem to be taking the heat very severely. Something's up. Last few days, everything's wilting, water or not. Healthy enough, but it makes me wonder about what's in that sunshine. Well, Hurricane Gordon, or Tropical Storm Gordon, is forecast to hit northern U.S. Gulf Coast as a hurricane late tonight. Tropical Storm Gordon will likely strengthen into a hurricane before hitting the U.S. Gulf Coast tonight. They're urging people along the coast from Louisiana to Florida to be wary of a dangerous storm surge and possible flash floods. And in Japan, they have had a typhoon. At least six people have died and more than 120 were injured amid strong storms and heavy wind after Typhoon Jebai made landfall in Japan earlier today. More than one million people were ordered to evacuate and nearly 800 flights were canceled as this powerful storm hit the country with winds of up to 129 miles per hour. Wow. There were deadly flash floods in Maryland and Pennsylvania after 10 inches of rain came in 24 hours. This fell in areas of Pennsylvania and Maryland. It happened Friday. It caused major flash floods. At least one person died. Someone else is still missing. Vehicles were dragged uh, from a bridge by the floods. The storm impacted roads, bridges, homes, and critical infrastructure. Um, They had issued disaster declarations in various counties. And in Yamal Tundra of Russia, they're coming up with bigger and bigger sinkholes. They say that one of the biggest formations, biggest sinkhole, is located very close to a gas pipeline. This formation is now growing and has reached a diameter of more than 60 meters and a depth of 200 meters. And since 2015, at least 10 big-size holes have been mapped in that area with several additional major holes in the making. They're concerned about that gas uh, pipeline. And in Manhattan, Kansas, no, not Manhattan, New York, but Manhattan, Kansas, was hit by what they're calling a 500-year event. It's a flash flood, another flash flood, with not Manhattan, Kansas overnight and into the day yesterday caused major flash flooding, forcing more than 300 people to evacuate their homes. Many of these houses flooded all the way up to the roof. Some some 750 houses are still without power, calling this a 500-year event or maybe even a 700- or 800-year event uh, by the uh, uh, city officials. At least one creek overflowed its banks and three bridges were covered with water in Manhattan, Kansas. And here's a sad story, really. It's about Brazil and their national museum. A massive fire has engulfed Brazil's national museum on Sunday night. It left people very upset because many of the nation's most precious artifacts, they say, have been lost forever. This museum housed 20 million items, including objects that tell the story of Brazil's past. The first fossil ever discovered there, the oldest female skull found in the Americas, and the nation's largest meteorite. 
This building also contained insects, mummies, paintings, and dinosaur bones. It had priceless items from Egypt, ancient Egypt, Greece, and Italy, and it served as a prominent research institution. They don't know what caused the fire, but the fire department said they were able to save a few objects from this burning building. And the whole nation of Brazil is grieving over the loss of those priceless artifacts. Well, here's kind of a sobering story that raises more questions than it answers. It's from Australia. And uh, one of the world's largest food and drink companies, Nestle, has warned that proposed legislation will hit consumer wallets. Why? What's this about? Well, under the proposed Australian Modern Slavery Bill 2018, all companies operating in Australia with an annual sales of $100 million will be required to report on the risks of modern slavery in their business practice, as well as what actions they've taken to address slave-like situations have to cover issues related to human trafficking, slavery, sexual servitude, and child labor within business operations and their supply chains. Now, Nestle, who is the owner of more than 2,000 brands in 189 countries, it's not just a chocolate bar anymore, has told a Senate committee that Australia's proposed mandatory reporting requirements could add cost and time to businesses and suppliers and that the company's profitability did not intend to suffer in order to pay for it, but that consumers would. Well, what I find so sobering about this article is, are there really slavery issues in large companies that operate internationally? Well, apparently so. Something to think about. Also something to think about, that the corporation doesn't intend to pay for it, but will pass the expenses on to the consumers. More profits, more profits. We must have more profits. Here is a science article to make you scratch your head, or maybe, well, anyway. (laughs) Did you know that the super rich are planning to freeze their brains in order to be reborn in a couple hundred years? It's it's not a movie. It's for (laughs) real. The ultra-wealthy are ready to spend huge amounts of cash to have their brains frozen after their death in the hope of being reborn in the future. Paying $100,000 for cryogenic preservation of their brains in liquid. The service is being provided by the Arizona-based Alcor Life Extension Foundation. This company is led by a scientist and a team of eight people. Now, if you want the doctor and his minions to freeze your whole body for like a Frankensteinian resurrection, you can shell out $250,000 for full body preservation instead of just freezing your brain. But I warn you, freezing your full body involves hanging upside down in steel cylinders, just in case you might think that somehow that would bother you later on. Now, Alcor says it currently keeps 149 dead patients at its facility, including U.S. baseball legend Ted Williams. The company has also preserved a small child who died at the age of two and became the youngest person ever to be crystallized. Wow. 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 It's, 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 it's real. It's for real. They're doing that. I remember years ago when that was sci-fi. All right. Well, this is kind of fun. A missing pair of the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz has been recovered by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I bet you didn't know that the ruby slippers 
uh, Dorothy's ruby slippers were gone, did you? I didn't. Maybe some of you out there I didn't, know no. that. But a pair of red shoes worn by Judy Garland in the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz that were stolen from a Minnesota museum 13 years ago, wow, am I behind the times, have been recovered, according to FBI officials. The ruby red slippers, which were insured for $1 million, have been missing since they were stolen on an August 5th, August, excuse me, August 2005 smash-and-grab robbery at the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. They were one of at least four pairs of sparkly red shoes worn by Garland in the iconic movie in which she famously clicks her heels and says, there's no place like home. The shoes were recovered during an undercover operation in Minneapolis after a year-long investigation following a tip that the Grand Rapids Police Department received. Grand Rapids Police approached the FBI when it became evident that this would cross state lines, and although the shoes have been recovered, they say the investigation is very active and continuing to be ongoing. Detectives are still seeking information about the theft itself, why they did it, who was responsible for it, and they're asking the public for additional information. Well, it so happens that the shoe belongs to a man who loaned them to the museum for 10 weeks in 2005 when they got stolen. He told reporters at the time that this was his worst nightmare, losing these shoes. But then, in 2015, on the theft's 10th anniversary, an anonymous fan offered a $1 million reward for the return of the slippers. Well, apparently that was effective because the search took investigators all over the country. Reports began flowing in. They said that the problem was there were so many reproductions and a lot of people thought that they had the stolen slippers. And they say that as recently as two weeks ago, the FBI got a phone call from a psychic telling them that she was sure she knew where the slippers were. So there it is. They have the slippers now, however. So if you want to cash in on the one million, too late. You missed your opportunity. <laughs> They've discovered. And, and speaking of recovered items, I want to ask all of you, have you ever sold something at a yard sale only to regret that decision later and to wonder even later, years later, whatever might have happened to that item? Maybe, yeah. I mean, have you ever thought about a childhood toy that you no longer have, wondering whatever became of it? Mm-hmm. Well, listen to this. Uh, listen to this. I've done that. <clears throat> Forty years later, a woman found her son's baseball mitt at a thrift store a thousand miles away. Now, most mornings, many mornings, a certain woman and her husband, and by the way, they have a very unusual last name, well, they head out to a thrift store in Jupiter, Florida, to look for treasures. They walk around for a while, and they usually leave empty-handed. But on a trip to the store last Wednesday, they were both thunderstruck. There, sitting on a shelf, was a baseball glove that belonged to their son, Christopher, 40 years ago in Willoughby, Ohio, where the couple raised their family and still spend part of the year. The woman said, my eyes just happened to glance over to it. It it didn't really register. Things were whirling in my mind. She noticed how the glove was weathered. Uh, She said that in its 1,000-mile trek to Jupiter from Ohio, the mitt's once lustrous dark leather patina had been worn down to a sandy shade. Gloss was gone, but the name was still written in bold letters across the mitt. She said, I could see my son's name written on it. That is when I thought it was his, but it didn't seem possible. Now, her 81-year-old husband was watching her, and he couldn't tell what was going on with her. 
He said, when I first saw my wife, she was on the verge of tears and shaking. I thought something had happened. And then she handed the glove over and pointed to it, and I could see our son's name. Now, this lady immediately phoned her, or excuse me, she didn't phone. She sent her 52-year-old son a text and a photograph of the glove. He responded back with another text and said, buy it. And so she paid $1.49 to get the glove back. After all these years, her son is a math teacher in a high school in Ohio, and uh, he's also a football coach, and he was always into sports. So that's wild. I mean, what are the odds, huh? And she she was lucky she didn't have to pay $500 to get it back. She got it back (laughs) for $1.49. So I thought that was a cool story. Anyway, I have a quote for you, for all of you. It's from Stephen Hawking, and he says, or said, It surprises me how disinterested people are today about everything. It's a crazy world out there. Be curious. And I think that's wonderful advice. Be curious. How can we not be curious? I have found in my practice that so often people are not curious about much of anything. And if we want to grow and learn and expand and evolve and get where we're going, we need to be curious. Ask lots of questions. That's my motto. And that's my thought from me to you for the rest of the week and from my heart to yours. Much love. Have a good week, everybody. It's going to be a great show tonight. Certainly hope so. (laughs) I certainly hope so because um, our guest um, is not here yet. Oh, my. So, yeah. um, So, anyhow, um, we're going to figure out what we're going to do about that. But thanks so much for the news. And um, I'm going to be thinking about that baseball glove. (laughs) Well, hello, Stephen. We're so glad that you made it, and this is Ariel. Yeah, very, very sorry. Very sorry for the delay. I, I got distracted. Something came up, and um, uh, so, it's, it's um, just uh, unfortunate. Okay, so we're here now. This is Lavendar. So uh, you have a very uh, exciting life, and we'd like to hear some of the things that you've encountered along the way going along with the UFO disclosures. So. I was looking at your sure. website. I love your website, the way that you put it together and the the codes that that are on the website. Congratulations, guy. It's really good. I that warms my heart because I did the whole thing. Oh, you did. It's Oh yeah. Really done very well. In fact, it's one of the best websites I've ever looked at. Anyway, Thank I you. wanted to uh talk to you about some of the things that you've you've um encountered this past year. I know that you took a, a trip to Russia. Uh, would you give us uh, some pointers about what happened for you in Russia when you went over there? Yes. Um, I, I, your listeners, I assume, well, some of your listeners may not know, I, I'm a political activist, uh, and my issue is the extraterrestrial issue, but more importantly, the political resolution of that issue. Uh, it's 70 years since Roswell, and the government still hasn't acknowledged the truth of these ETs. Uh, and that's not a science matter. It's not there hasn't been enough evidence, enough science, uh, not at all. There's been many times over enough. But it's a political decision, a decision that we are not ready to know this and uh, for national security reasons and to serve their political comfort, uh, we won't be told. My job is to, is to change their mind or at least force disclosure out of them 
whether they like it or not. Uh, that's what I do. Disclosure is a is a very defined term. It is a capital D. It's an event. It's not the small d disclosure, which most people understand. It's a capital D event. It refers to the moment in which a head of state acknowledges formally, on camera, of course, to their his or her people that there is, in fact, an extraterrestrial present. It could be a number of them simultaneously. That's unlikely. Most likely it will be a single head of state who will choose to go first. That is disclosure. The moment those words come out of that person's mouth, we are in a post-disclosure world. So that's, that's what I do. Um, the last two years, actually not the last uh, uh, really, gee, gee, almost four years, four years come November, has been the most significant time in my career on this, which is now 22 years on. Um, we, because of, a, of an event I held in Washington called the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure, where we had 42 witnesses testify before former members of Congress in a mock congressional hearing, we were able to deliver that testimony to the Congress, the entire Congress, in November of 2014. Immediately, I uh, arrived in Washington. My publicist came online, and we started pressing the media about the testimony that they had received, that, that they had received, as well as the Congress. We sent it to the media as well. Uh, particularly, the testimony connecting the uh, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, Secretary Hillary Clinton, to the ET issue, which went back almost at that point 20 years uh, to 1993, 25 years rather, uh, 20, 21 years. Anyway, uh, see, she was running for president, but there was this big connection between her and the ET issue and her husband and John Podesta and Barack Obama. And we were able to force that issue out into the media and get about 400 articles written about it, which forced her and John Podesta and her husband and Barack Obama to speak to the issue during the campaign 11 times. The situation was clear. She was going to disclose the ET presence upon becoming president. Uh, I, I can make a very powerful case for that, and I have in, in, in many lectures since uh, January. Uh, but she didn't win. Uh, another man won, and the situation politically became extremely volatile and chaotic. Um, the work of many years is thrown up in the air, uh, and we were kind of stymied. I was stymied. I didn't know what to do. Um, so I left and went to London uh, in April of 2017. Uh, I'd been there before, uh, and I had some contacts, and there are other nations out there, and my intention was to raise the issue, hopefully, uh, outside the U.S. Uh, as it happened... I received an invitation to interview for a national Russian network, REN TV. Uh, they wanted to interview me in London. I said, no, I'll only interview in Moscow. And they said, fine, you pay your way. You're, you can come here. I did. And I, I gave an hour and a half interview to REN TV on May the 3rd. And in that interview, uh, I uh, directly addressed the exopolitical implications of disclosure regarding Putin and Russia and discussed as well American politics, as well as other things. This is the first time anyone had ever done that. No one had ever talked about Putin as the ET disclosure president uh, on Russian media anywhere, uh, and never certainly on Russian soil. So the interview was done, and I then came back to London and waited to see what would happen. 
that what was go- what would happen next was going to be very important because based because I took six meetings with various Russian groups while I was there. I knew that the Kremlin knew I was there, and I knew the CIA knew I was there, and so there's no, no hidden. There's nothing hidden here. That interview was done. What would happen? And what did happen was that a couple of brief clips of it were used in a Russian uh, television show about the ET issue and other phenomena, kind of stuff we have here. We have many shows like that, Ancient Aliens uh, uh, and, and other programs directed to this issue. That happened about five months later. Shortly thereafter, I got the copy of the, of the interview, the full English language copy, which I didn't know if I would get, but I did get it. And then I started posting it on the Internet uh, throughout December of 2017. Ultimately, I, I put the, the, the key half-hour portion up online early 2018 and then put out a press release with that uh, clip link to the media. They ignored it completely, except for Britain. Nevertheless, uh, that was done. But more importantly, I was waiting to see if any Russian media would cover this. This is very important. And as it happened, two articles were written in Sputnik RU about my interview and about my call for Putin uh, to possibly be the disclosure president. That confirmed that the, the Kremlin was not uncomfortable with uh, and allowed that to be put out in Russian media, which meant that the idea of, of Putin being the disclosure president was not off the table in Moscow. This was the whole point of this interview. All of this, of course, I conveyed uh, to the press also in my updates, and I know that the CIA is aware of this, uh, as well the Pentagon. So that's what I was able to do in 2018 at Circa May. Now, as it happens, in October of 2017, a little before I got the interview from Russia, something very significant happened, and that was the announcement of the creation of an organization called the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, planned for almost two years, uh, made up of 10 high-level scientists and former intelligence officers, either with the Department of Defense or the CIA, uh, the most extraordinary group of 10 people, no longer in government, now in the civilian sector, uh, to form an organization to pursue this issue, to release information, and uh, also to raise money. And they raised $2.5 million. Uh, the group is fronted by musician Tom DeLong, very, very uh, well-educated guy on the ET issue. And then they, they uh, uh, gave interviews to the New York Times in December, which led to two major articles. About gun, about gun camera footage and events, as well as a study in the DOD. This turned out from the New York Times in December 16th. Now, these are major events. Uh, and as a result of the actions of To The Stars Academy, their website is easy to find, uh, circum, circa the end of, uh, of 2017, early 2018, uh, the disclosure movement, which I was one of the key leaders, certainly, is now being led by the military intelligence complex because these, this group of 10 people, plus Tom DeLong, we know from comments that have been made by them that there's about 30 or so people inside the Department of Defense and the CIA supporting them privately, obviously, because they cannot be public. Uh, and this was a major sea change. Uh, that's a glimpse of what's happened over the last four years 
And the only reason I think that we haven't had a major breakout on this issue that would, could have led to disclosure is that they are slow walking what they are presenting. I'm kind of cornered in what I usually do because of the extraordinary political chaos in America right now. Unprecedented in size and scope. The constitutional crisis, which is already underway, is going to deepen. It'll be far worse than Watergate, far worse than Iran-Contra, and so forth. And so it's just very difficult to engage an issue of this magnitude, the confirmation of extraterrestrial presence, when you have a political hurricane like this. So we're sort of in an odd place, but I think it will resolve within a couple of months. Oh, my goodness. You're sitting on some really tight information, aren't you? Wow. I'm dealing so, with the most important um, issue in the world today. Yeah, so yeah. So where do we go from here? And, and, and what, what can you tell our audience so that, that people can get engaged? Do you want people to sign petitions? Do you want people... What do you want us to do to help you? Hmm. Well, right right now, uh, what people need to do is to get educated to these recent developments because we're now at the front edge of, of the disclosure movement historically. Uh, so, first of all, they, I recommend they go to paradigmresearchgroup.org, my website. There's a huge amount of information there. There's an entire section on the election political initiative that PRG ran during the campaign that's under um, um, it's under projects, main projects, uh, 2016 election campaign. Huge amount of immaterial there, uh, including links to the 400 articles that were written about the Clinton ET connection. Then there's a section under issues about the To the Stars Academy. There's 96 uh, links to media articles and interviews of these people on the To the Stars. Uh, and that's just for openers. I mean, again, there's a huge amount of material on this site. Then uh, they need to go to the To the Stars Academy site and review everything there. Um, and, and also they need to review the articles about them. And that's up in my site. I have a print media, uh, print media section archive where I have 10,000 articles linked. Uh, but uh, certainly all of the articles about the To the Stars Academy are uh, in 2017, 2018 are there. And they're all earmarked. You can see them easily. You find them easily. You can read those and see what the media has been saying. And then you go to the website and see what their mission statement is, what they've done. You want to review the gun camera footage released about the Nimitz event by the New York Times, and there's two other pieces of gun camera footage, first ever released and authorized by the Pentagon. These are two things you can absolutely do, because uh, this is where the major action is. Uh, there's obviously the, the, the overall um, research activism and, and, and so forth that's been, it continues, there's plenty of sites, plenty of things going on, plenty of books to read, but uh, the To the Stars Academy issue, as well as the Clinton ET connection, because the Clintons are still here, they haven't gone anywhere, uh, and at any moment, they could give an interview to the New York Times and rock this issue really to its foundations. They've chosen not to do so, and I think I know why. So this is what people can do, um, without question. Petitions are not going to have any impact right now. The Congress is completely wrapped up in the constitutional crisis and will be for months uh, don't even bother to call them. The media has, has done a lot of coverage, but right now the media is overwhelmed with the political stories being generated daily. And there just isn't much time. I mean, the, 
the list of major things happening in the world that are getting almost no coverage at all is a very long list. And so the, the media is not going to address this issue. Something breaks, they'll cover it, but not for long. Then they'll be back to the, the political maelstrom. Well, let me ask so you, one thing, Stephen, what do you think about the yeah. space um, uh, space force that, that Trump has announced? What's he going to do with that? What brought that Nothing. about? Nothing. That's just a distraction. I call it a space farce. There's been okay. a military uh, a space program for decades and decades. The idea of a space force, which the, which the Pentagon may go great because it'll get, some, get them another you know, 20, 30, $40 billion dollars, uh, because they guess they don't turn down money, but in terms of it being meaningful, important, relevant, or actually serious, no, it's just a distraction like everything else. Okay. Um, and the last thing we need is a space force. All right, and war in space is a disaster. It's a calamity. It's a, it's awful policy. Uh, but fortunately, this this can be reversed uh, fairly quickly. So I'm not immediately worried about it. Uh, let's just hope the Pentagon doesn't get too it hooks into it too deep. Uh, okay. So there's that. But to close out what I said before, the, the number one thing we need now is funding. Uh, Paradigm Research Group, because of the uh, the outcome of the election and and the kind of a, the blunting of its pr- principal activity, uh, it hasn't been able to raise much money at all for almost two years and, and, and virtually working with nothing. The Two Stars Academy did raise $2.5 million from a, um, a uh, public service corporation, which they set up. And I think they, they, they are still raising money. I don't I think there's a they've kinda held off. I think they're probably gonna do a second issue pretty soon. I think it was five dollars a share. So they got a couple of million to work with and that's great and they, they deserve it and need it. Uh this is a major project. PRG is not obviously <laughs> made up of former members of the CIA and the skunk works and the DOD. Uh so it doesn't have the ability to raise those kind of funds, but it needs funding very badly. There is a GoFundMe link on my page, paradigmresearchgroup.org. There's also a contribute page, too. Uh, and so that's how people can help the most, is to start really. And there's other operations out there, uh, the Disclosure Activist, Chase Klotsky, MUFON, that need funding. Uh, this is the biggest issue in the world today. And to put it in perspective, the last election, which frankly didn't make things any better, in my view, nor did the election before that, for that matter, $3 billion dollars were contributed by, by good Americans. Foreigners cannot contribute. Neither can corporations, at least directly. But a lot of money was put into uh, 501c4s and, and uh, these uh, special PACs, super PACs. But 3 to $4 billion was spent on that election. Uh, Americans are, are geared to contribute to elections. And as a result, and because of the laws we have, it can cost $25, $30 million to be governor. $15 million to be a senator. What? Well, what, what, do you, what do you have to do to, to service that money contributions? And we're going to spend a couple, maybe a billion to two billion on these midterm elections, which is great. I, I mean, I'm glad that there's, there's going to be a big election. I hope there's a huge voter turnout. But we're, we're contributing billions and billions of dollars to elect people, right? It could, under better laws, could be elected for one-tenth of that. And the government doesn't really get much better. But when it comes to some issues like, say, the extraterrestrial issue and disclosure and so many others, they can't get funding. And these issues, I assure you, have far more implications for the human race than who is going to be the next governor of Florida or the next representative from District 7 in Oklahoma. But the American people are geared to give huge sums of money to people running for office 
and the more they give, the more they have to give because the competition responds. And so it's a money tree that grows and grows and grows. I would encourage people, start donating your money to the most important causes, right? And let the politicians take care of themselves, and you'll see things getting better. So that's the best advice I can give. Well, I hope that our Starseed listeners are are hearing you and will go on your website and donate money to your cause because we know that you have your heart and soul in this and have for many, many years, and we want to support your efforts to do that. Very kind of you. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, Stephen, um, all, all through the years you've had a lot of, of, of contact with abductees and contactees, and you've traveled the circuit. You know what's going on. Do you yeah. have any idea how many people have been abducted or contacted? Is there a, is there a number that has crossed your desk that you could give us? Yes. Is it one out of four people that are implanted? What have you learned through all of these last 20 years? Of, of, of well, it's, what, what, what has the field learned? I, I'm not doing that research, but uh, I, I generally talk about contactees. And the contactee is a term that refers to all contact between humans and extraterrestrials, which certainly includes being in the same room as they are, absolute physical presence, or psychic or telepathic contact. contact. Um, though it's the physical contact that we are most particularly uh, attuned to or and concerned about, not concerned about, but certainly paying attention to because uh, it's a lot easier to prove that. It's a lot easier to address it than psychic contact. Um, there have been a number of surveys that have been done to try to get a handle on how many. It, it's a very difficult thing to survey. Uh, what is done is that there are certain questions that knowledgeable people know seem to indicate the possibility of contact. Uh, And so people are asked these questions and then they they tabulate. There's never really been a full-out high-end survey. In other words, uh, Reuters or Gallup or ABC News, none of the major polling operations have ever gone out and surveyed on that. They have asked people if they believe that UFO phenomenon is real. They get about a 50% return on that. They ask if they, think that if they believe the government's telling the truth, 90%, 80% to 90% will say, no, the government's lying, things like that. They don't ask about contact. Based on the surveys, the, I, the lowest of, of the various ones, I, I'm, I go with the lowest number, the one that, is, uh, because just, just to be on the safe side and conservative side, that number is around 2%. Now, what does that mean? If that number is true, right, then approximately um, 6 million people in the United States are are contactees. Uh, That's a big number. Uh, And that's just the United States. Outside the United States, don't know. uh, Because the surveys have really not been done. There is no, there is, there is not a lot of, of logic to concluding that the United States is the major focus of contact in this world. Uh, one could make a case, though, that the developed nations might be the focus and that there's just not that much interest in the undeveloped world. Um, we don't know. But if it's 2% worldwide, then that number 
is um, uh, 2% of 6 billion. 10% is 600. 2% would be, uh, uh, what's it for that? That would be uh, about um, 100 billion people, 110 billion people, 110 million people, rather. Um, these are staggering numbers. Now, interestingly enough, uh, uh, together with an astronomer, uh, uh, Dr. Spear, I, I came up with an equation called the contact equation, which you can find on my website under um, projects more. Not main projects, but uh, uh, you know more projects, more beyond the main ones. And it's called the contact equation. And, and the, the purpose of that equation was to try to determine how many ET craft it would be necessary to service a 2% contact, uh, physical contact uh, status in the United States. And all the variables were, were carefully plotted, and the number ended up being not bad. The number of craft needed uh, to service it uh, is not that large. It's very realistic, given the number of sightings, uh, that have taken place. So I operate on the, on the 2%. Now, of that 2%, of that 6 million in the United States, 80 to 80% at least, maybe, no, probably more like 85 to 90% are in the closet. They don't talk about it, period. They don't discuss it with anybody. Uh, or at least the very closest family members, and it goes nowhere. They are in the closet. Now, that seems like a big number, but in fact, at one time, 80 to 90% of all LGBT individuals who identify as LGBT were in the closet and could not talk about it. So there's nothing unusual about people being in the closet. Uh, and so we're in a situation now where you have this huge number of people who are in the closet, cannot speak about it, but many hundreds, even thousands have started to come forward. And the idea of contact is rapidly being normalized. Um, to give you an idea of the numbers, uh, it is likely that somewhere between a half a million and 1 million individuals have sent written accounts of their experience with ETs to researchers. There are a lot of researchers in this uh, world on this subject, and they are getting a lot of emails and letters. Uh, but the one who got the most was Whitley Strieber because of his amazing series, the Communion series. And he announced years ago, this was at least 10 years ago, that he and Anne, his wife, the late Anne Strieber, had received a half a million correspondences from contactees just wanting to tell their story. No expectations of money or fame or anything else. That's just the Strebers. And so I believe the actual number is somewhere between a half a million and a million. This is highly significant. And something happened recently which is very notable. Uh, it's, it's symbolic, I guess you could say. Uh, and most of your listeners are probably not aware of it. But a year ago, approximately, a political person in Florida by the name of Patina Aguilera Rodriguez announced that she was a candidate for Congress. This is a very early announcement um, and began the pre preparation to, to be a candidate leading to the primaries uh, as a Republican. Well, after a few months or so, opposition research discovered a, an interview, an actual interview that she had given 
or of a meet, or actually maybe it was a meeting. She was talking to people and it was filmed. And in this gathering, she told about her contact experience when she was a child. This immediately was obviously handed to the media by the opposition press. And there were a number of articles written about it. I got in touch with her, talked to her a little bit, gave her some thoughts. Uh, and then it kind of faded away because the primaries were still many months away. Uh, and you didn't hear much about it. But there was a number of articles. They're up on my website in the media section, a print media archive. Uh, and then it faded away. Now, months go by, and now we're approaching the primaries. And there's about six or seven candidates running in the GOP primary for the 27th district of Congressional District of Florida, which is down in Miami. And something remarkable happened. The number one paper in Miami, the Miami Herald, looked at all seven candidates and endorsed Bettina Aguilera Rodriguez. And in that endorsement, and I think in subsequent responses, they said, that her account of being abducted, uh, I don't know if it was a bad abduction, good abduction, but certainly she was engaged without her consent as a child, was not relevant to her capacity to be a congresswoman from Florida because her career, her skills uh, were what was important. This is the most profound act of normalization so far that I have seen regarding the contact reality. Uh, we know that contact turns up in movies, in television, in cartoons, on South Park, on The Simpsons. It is everywhere. And we know the alien fundamental image, the fundamental image of aliens, the, the greys, of which there are two or three types. They're not the only types engaging humans. That image is all over. Advertising, media, art, everywhere. Cartoons. And so... 30 years after um, communion, the contact thing is starting to be normalized. That's a long time. But the citizen science activist movement, of which I'm a part, has, has played a role there. When I first entered the field in 1996, I made a decision to stay away from contact in my discussions, in my interviews, on my website. I knew that just trying to get the Congress to move on the ET issue alone was extremely difficult. To bring to, in front of them the idea that people are being contacted or abducted, their poor little brains would have exploded, and so I stayed away from it. But around, 19, around 2002, I'd already I'd talked with a lot of contactees by then. I, I was familiar with the subject, much more familiar. And I, I said, these individuals are forced in the closet by the government's embargo, the truth embargo. They are completely disowned. Their fundamental story is denied completely. You are not having contact. There are no extraterrestrials. Therefore, you are nuts. They can't speak. And to, to, to ignore them and to try to say, well, no, we just, we'll just pursue this activism. We'll try to keep that off to the side. I, I couldn't do it any longer. And I then actively began to discuss the contact on television, uh, on MSNBC, CNN, very bluntly, very straightforward. And for that reason... So around 2000, about 2007 was the last time I was been asked back on national television, because when, when I they, I go on, I tell I just tell them the truth, and it, they hate it. It drives them crazy for someone to come on and say the blunt, actual truth on a major issue, and uh, that's the way it's been for 11 years now. 
uh, hopefully they'll open up their eyes and get me back on soon. So, so let me ask you, Stephen, did the, did the lady yeah. win her primary? No, she did no, not. She, she came win. in, okay. I think, six. However, and while she was made fun of in a few articles, most of the articles written about it, and there were quite a few, and I have them on my site, of course, were reasonable. A couple of stupid idiots wrote some silly articles, and she came in in fifth. I do not believe that, uh, that, her, that, that her being truthful and, and commenting and, and not backing away at all from the, what she had told people previously about her contact with an ET as, as a child uh, affected her outcome at all. Also, I can make an extremely good case that all of the statements made by Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and John Podesta to the media carefully carefully crafted and under special conditions because they, they couldn't get into it too deep. They had to be careful, they had, but they had no choice. I had reporters all over them. I mean, literally calling them up, wanting answers, and they wouldn't speak to them because they couldn't get engage Q&A. Uh, but if you look at that election, her coming forward on this issue did not hurt her at all. And she was never attacked by the right wing about her ET-related statements. She lost that election based on a many other factors, uh, a number of factors, but it wasn't her speaking truth to the ET issue. And as I told Podesta in an email, if she had really gone in full bore, both feet, even though it would have risked the issue blowing up immediately and, and, and making Barack Obama the disclosure president, but if she had spoken full truth to power on this, she would have won that election. It would have overcome the other mistakes that were made because people – out there, and I think you know this as well as anybody because you are a, a, uh, a radio person speaking to people all the time, the one thing the American people are absolutely begging for is authenticity and truth from the people who, who want to lead them. And they're still not getting it. Right. That's very true. I noticed on your website you had something called in-game cautions. Uh, could you speak about that, please? In-game cautions. Okay. You, you read that article? Yes. Okay. Um, here are the cautions that I, I wrote in there. This is in my – that's part of the blog. I have a blog on there called Disclosure Wire Blog, and it's one of the blog pieces. Um, as we get closer to disclosure, and we're close, and we've been close for a while. I mean, it, it's – I mean, again, we've had – it, it, it got really intense several times. So I, I would say going all the way back to about 2000. I mean, 2008. I mean, for the last eight years, we've been we've been close. Um, as we get close, people are going to get excited. They're going to get hyperbolic, and there's going to be a lot of emotional uh, turmoil because this truth embargo was 70 years on. Like the civil rights movement was more than 70 years on as it approached finality, or I say finality, approached the laws that would change everything in 1964. People are going to get worked up. Uh, a lot of people are going to start coming forward. Uh, there's going to be controversy. There's going to be contention. There's going to be inter internal dis dis debates and, and conflicts. A lot of fraud is going to turn up. You're going to have a lot of people wanting to get on, on center stage as this issue unfolds. They want to be there. When the curtain goes up, and, and they're going to make up a lot of stuff to get on that stage. And so you're going to see fraud. You're going to see hoaxes. Uh, you're going to see a lot of 
tomfoolery, um, and it's going to get messy, and it's absolutely unavoidable. There's just no way. We've been waiting a long time. People are angry, and as a result, they're going to be extremely sensitive as things get closer. They're going to challenge everything. They're going to question everything, uh, and certainly they're going to question all actions by the government. Uh, so I caution people to try to remain centered, try to not get too carried away with every bizarre story that turns up. Try to be understanding of, uh, of others as they get intense about this. Try to show as much respect as possible for the researchers and the witnesses uh, because most of them are doing their best and most of them are telling the truth. Uh, these are some of the things that I mentioned in that article. And ultimately, be prepared to accept the truth when it finally arrives. There's a quote that I came up with, which I now start off all of my presentations with. And it's this. The tragedy of institutional lying is when the truth finally does show up, it's not recognized. It's a version of the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Um, And so right now, particularly with the To The Stars Academy, we're seeing some powerful truths coming out, and people are not recognizing them. They are, they're saying it, it can't be true. We've never been given the truth, we, so we're not going to ever be given the truth. And so I don't believe anything. Uh, that's unfortunately not a good place to get to. I understand why people are there. All I can say is they need to settle down, center, and start assessing things with a little less emotion, a little more verification, and do their best to sort the wheat from the chaff, and rely on the strongest people in the field who have the strongest reputations for consistency and authenticity to provide information and, 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 and assessment, analysis of the unfolding events. That's what was in that article. I wanted to also ask you about your trip to Barcelona, Spain, when you met mm. uh, a man named Robert, who was an artist. That was a very interesting article. Can you just give us a a brief uh, synopsis of that trip? Fascinating, yes. It, it was a brutal trip for me. I, I, uh, I, I booked the wrong flight. My fault, and then they ended up having to get a last minute flight. It took me 24 hours to get there. Uh, once I got there, I started to come down with a virus of some kind, and it, it was tough. Uh, and then I, Chris, I was I was there for three days and had to. 11-hour flight back. Met some very nice people, however. It was a nice conference. They really did the best they could to, uh, to do this conference in Barcelona. I didn't get to see much of the city, but it was what I did see, I could tell, this amazing city. Uh, and uh, with, a, I think, a great future. Uh, but as it happened, I met, a, I met an artist who was displaying his art at the conference. Uh, all over. I mean, these huge pictures, sculptures, and so forth. And it was interesting. I mean, I've seen art at conferences before, but I didn't really, uh, you know, I, I'm doing my lecture. I'm paying attention to other stuff. I, I, I didn't intend to engage it. But it turned out that this artist, some 20 years ago, maybe longer, had attended the wedding of a woman, uh, and then it, 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 he had not seen him since. She went about her life, 
and she's living not that far out of Barcelona, and she shows up and sees the art and realizes this is the fellow that came to her wedding. And so she engages him, and then she's interested in this issue big time. She engages me, and she says, you need to meet him. And so I, 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 I met him, I said hello, and then that night we drove to his studio in downtown Barcelona. Three huge, three floors, huge studio, three floors, filled with his past art, sculpture, painting, different modalities and so forth. He's a full-fledged lifetime artist whose father was a full-fledged lifetime artist. His name is Robert Limos, L-L-I-M-O-S. And he was a respected artist in Spain. I mean, I, I not a, he's not, I know, he's not a world famous, but certainly he is respected. He has shown, you know, many showings. He's sold art for many years. So he is a, a true artist. However, I, what I learned is that 10 years ago, I'm visiting Brazil. Uh, for, I'm not sure it was an event to me, who knows, but he's visiting Brazil. Uh, he's staying not on the ocean, he's staying in, a, I forget the exact town, but it's about, I don't know, inland a few miles. Uh, but there's these sand dunes that are not too far from where he was staying. And these are sand dunes from an earlier time, when the ocean was higher, and it, they had built up when the water level of the ocean was higher, and they're just left there. And so he he always writes and he always paints and draws or draws rather when he's traveling. He's always, he's, you know, he's a true artist he's constantly drawing. So he took his drawing book and he went out to sit in the dunes and just uh, in beautiful, beautiful area there and draw. Very shortly after he arrived, a huge craft emerged out of the clouds and the clouds were low. And this craft was so could have easily been a hundred feet across, might've been more, maybe 50 feet high. Uh, and it literally came down near the ground. It was right in front of him. It, you could, he could have hit it. He could have hit it with a stone. It had a viewing section that had dropped down underneath it. Up at the very top, there were people and wind, there were entities, beings and windows that you couldn't really make out because they were much higher. But there were two beings standing in the window, a portal window, whatever, of this viewing sections looking straight at him and he was of course stunned now this is a 75 year old man he was 65 at the time but he's a he's a highly intelligent you know man been around a long time and he for him he was like spock on star trek his attitude was isn't this interesting uh (laughs) and he was fascinated and so he started to draw it and then he went home. And when he got back, he realized that he had been out on the dunes for a couple of hours, but he could barely remember more than five or ten minutes of it. And so he has a memory. He has missing time, but he clearly remembered what he did remember. And so he was just on, it was, this excited him. And so immediately he started drawing and painting uh, while he was in Brazil and he contacted his agent back in Barcelona and arranged for a site, uh, showing. So he goes back to Barcelona. He puts a number of pieces together about his sighting, showing the craft, showing these, these, these entities, these two beings, which are unlike any that I have seen, uh, pretty much unlike any I have seen. This was a one-off. This was, these were not regulars. 
uh, and he holds this showing. Well, what happens? Spain is a con- uh, Spain is a conservative country, and it's true for Catalan. The interest in his art. Well, what, to be fair, what happened is when he came back, he became obsessed with this event. And he, for the next 10 years, has done nothing but art about this encounter. Paintings and various media, sculptures, just huge amount of work. Uh, and not doing any other work. And as a result, the interest in his art uh, evaporated. Agents went away, no showings. Essentially, he just became kind of persona non grata in the Spanish art world, viewed as kind of a crank. But he didn't care. He just kept creating more art based upon this. And he's 75, got married, and I was in his studio. And I knew what I was going to do when I went over there. Uh, so we're there in his studio, it's very comfortable. There's three other people there. There was a translator and uh, uh, a friend and another person. And he does speak some English, but on occasion she would translate. And so I, I listened to his entire story. And then I basically said to Robert, I said, Robert, first of all, I do not think you're a regular contactee. I think you had a one-time event. Whether it was an accidental or whether it was intentional, I don't know, uh, but I do not think it only happened one time. Secondly, you were, almost, you were probably brought upon that craft, and those memories are uh, pot- potentially retrievable. If you want, I will arrange a uh, hypnotic regression. Uh, and three, and this was the key, I said, Robert, there's something you need to understand, because he knew nothing about the exopolitical disclosure movement, Nothing about my work, nothing about the Clinton campaign, nothing about any of that. And I said, Robert, we are very close to disclosure. The announcement of the extraterrestrial presence is eminent. And in the entire world, well, let me this way. There, there have been many people that have been contacted. Many people have had contact with ETs. And some of them were artists. And there's been plenty of writing, painting that's been done. There's been plenty of drawings and what have you, and, and it's these drawings that, that, have just, that have educated as to what they look like. There's even been some drawings of what the inside of the craft look like. But these are basically not lifelong uh, top-tier artists. These are just people that have some skill. In all the world, you may be the only uh, top-tier artist of this kind of renown who is doing art about the contact that they had. There might be another. I don't know what's going on in China. could be in China. Who knows? But certainly in the Western world, I don't know of another example like this. And as a result, when that announcement comes, what you have in this room right now will be worth millions and millions of dollars because the entire world is going to want a piece of the ET issue. And there will be almost no one of his skill and caliber where they can purchase a connection to the ET issue. And this is true of everything. 
first edition books will be worth one, two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Reasonable art from relatively talented people will go for twenty and thirty thousand dollars. The interest in this subject will be beyond anything the human race has ever seen. There will never be a there has never been a collective interest that will even remotely match what you will see after the disclosure event. And I could see the eyes light up a little bit. I could see him feeling positive, knowing that vindication of his work is, 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 is coming. And that was a great moment for me and uh, worth, worth a trip to Barcelona 10 times over. Since then, I did arrange for to him to do a regression, but he has declined. And the reason that he declined, and I understand why, is that when he did come back to Barcelona, the media was all over him. And they, they wanted to make a big deal out of it. And they brought him on a show, and he agreed to a hypnotic regression on camera, right, as part of a program. And they had somebody doing the work that was not skilled, didn't understand this issue, and it did a complete mess. And it hurt him. And so he was reluctant to do it again, even though it would have been absolutely a top person, very private. That doesn't mean he may not do it in the future. Uh, but that's my experience. I cannot imagine how many contact stories like that are out there. And every day that goes by where I am aware, very, very intensely aware, that huge numbers of people are being forced in the closet by their own government, by its arrogance, by its obtuseness, by its lack of imagination, by its dysfunction. It angers me. It angers me greatly. We need to live in a country where nobody has to be in a closet for any reason because of the government's policies. We're not there yet, but I hope to God we'll be there in my lifetime. And for that, we'll say ho, ho, ho. That's Yes, amen to that. Absolutely. I'm looking at the time, uh, Stephen, and I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Ariel, who has the switchboard. I'm not sure if, mm -hmm. how many people stayed online after they thought you weren't going to be on. So uh, let me pass it over to Ariel, and, and she'll uh, take the interview from here. And we want to support your efforts. And I'm, I'm pleading with all the Starseed listeners to contribute to your cause because it's a mighty one. It's a mighty one, and we're here to support you. Thank you, Lavendar. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, um, yes, it's, it's true. I mean, a lot of people are going to listen to this um, uh, show in the archives, um, and yes. we um, generally have more people on the switchboard, but when they thought you weren't going to be here... Um, and I started just playing a, a, a recording that yeah. we had on file here. We we lost uh, some of the people on the switchboard, but which is not to say that they won't, um, you know, listen on, you know, through the week and through the month in the archives. Sure. Um, My fault entirely, but, yeah. too. Well, that's, you know, things like this happen. Yeah. We're just really thrilled yep. that you were able to come on um, and, and tell us about your work because, I mean, I've been um, – following your work for quite some time and um as lavendar said we totally support um you know the truth on this issue and mm -hmm. um yeah I commend you for the 
energy and dedication and the passion that you have uh, put into this, I mean, just to the exclusion of almost everything else. So um, we do appreciate that. Um, I just I just saw another another caller come online, and uh, I think I recognize the phone number. So there very well may be a question. So um, I just oh, want to sure. I'll take as many questions as as you as you want. Okay. Well, um, may or may not, but we'll just have to have to wait and see. Um, and how about you personally? Have you seen, you know, UFOs? Do, have you ever, um, you know, experienced some of the, you know, classic um, symptoms? Have you, do you think answer, that you've no. been? No. Um, I've had no contact of that uncertain, nor have I seen anything. I've, I've had no, I've not, I've seen not anything in the sky. I mean, there have been a couple of times when I was at a conference or something up there, we took a look at it. Was interesting, but I've never had what I would consider a sighting that I, I felt strongly about, and, and I've never had contact. You know, plenty of people would have, but no, I haven't had that uh, pleasure. Well, um, I don't know if if you were um, listening. There was part of an interview that um, that I was playing uh, the, between Lavendar and myself, and she was talking about the the Teton meetings, um, which is like a, a giant. Um, more than a conference, but it is an it's an extraterrestrial um, conference where they come from all over the place uh, twice a year, um, and they have these meetings in the Tetons where they they check on the starseed bloodlines and they hand out assignments and they they you know see what needs to be worked on and what's completed uh, for the next six month interval. And starseeds, um, which are the um, you know extraterrestrial um, souls and energies in human bodies, um, are taken, and they don't have any memory. And Lavendar was saying that if you check your thumbs and your fingers for little red dots, even if you don't have any memory, that is the um, um, uh, the evidence that you were. And they give you a shot so that you will forget. Because if you did remember, you wouldn't be able to function in the 3D world. And uh, Lavendar has a lot, a lot of experience. And we're talking about like 40 years of um, going back and forth uh, from the planet to the ship and back again. So just, uh, you know, it, when you when you get in the shower and then the hot water hits your hands and you think you, something was a little stinging. Look and see if you have a little red dot, so that can okay. maybe uh, uh, let you know, even if you don't remember, um, that you might have had um, a contact in the dream time. Uh, on a different subject, have you ever been to mm-hmm. or heard of the East Seti Ranch in Washington State? I have been one time. Um, it was an interesting experience, uh, and as luck would have it, uh, there was a significant sighting, but a bunch of us had gone to dinner, and it happened while we were there. So I missed. Uh, the same <laughs> thing happened when I went to an, uh, a uh, an E, not an E city, most essentially a CE5 group out of uh, out up in uh, Maine, and we had a nice little couple of days, and then we went out to the lake. Uh, and they were going to see if they could call something in, and uh, we waited, and waited, and waited, and and. Uh, 
nothing happened. And finally, I just had to go in, and I went in, and I heard it a few minutes after I left. There was uh, something fairly significant that <laughs> took place. And I began to wonder if, if the ETs are going out of their way to make sure that I nothing nothing of that type happens to me because it's important um, that I can't. I'm, I'm having fun here, but it, it, the point I'm making is this, that having never had an experience or sighting uh, means that my thinking on the subject, my approach to the subject, is not affected at all by personal experience. It is based upon the evidence and the evidence alone. Right, I get that. It's like, it's, I get like, that. It's, like, it's like somebody who goes into a trial, it's a rape trial, for instance, All right, and they're sitting on a, a trial where somebody's being tried for rape, and, uh, uh, and, it could, you know, and this is true for men or women, and then the person is asked, have you ever been raped? And the answer is, yeah, I, I have. You, that, that, they're going to get dismissed from that jury. They're not going to be able to sit on that jury. So it, and and so, because if I had had an experience, it would be almost impossible not to talk about it. I, I'm a Sagittarian, and we don't lie easy. Um, <laughs> uh, and that would have affected how media would have looked at me, how political people would have looked at me. So uh, it's, it's really yeah, an asset take, for what yeah. I do. That would take you out yeah. of. So that's that would take off your scientist hat. And give you an aluminum a tinfoil hat instead. Well, so, I don't think it's that know, bad. It, I don't yeah, think well, that. <laughs> it, it, it's just well, that I'm, I'm there for the, the the evidence has proved it, and I I can exactly. make that case pretty easily. And 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 let's face it, there's a lot of people on this planet, and most of them, the vast majority of them, have never had any experience of an ET nature. Uh, that but clearly, uh, before this is over, 99.9 of them are going to know that there's an ET presence. Because they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna learn it. It's gonna be, they're gonna see the evidence. They're gonna be, it's gonna be confirmed, and so forth. Uh, but let let's also make it clear that people who have had sightings and people who have had direct contact with ETs have made up a significant part of this movement. They are highly motivated. Their life is often changed forever, and oh, they exactly. become researchers. Yeah. They get in the media, and so they're they're uh, critical. Uh, and have been critical to uh, this subject and, and moving it forward. As it happens, though, when it comes to the political engagement, the political interface, that's a bit of a liability. And that's not their fault. That's the fault of the government, the truth embargo, and the propaganda that they've laid down. And so I guess I was, in a way, the right person at the right time. I, how I ended up in this field is a, an extraordinary uh, story in the sense that it just should never have happened. And the odds were just staggering against it. It was just like, I don't know. I, I to this day, it's amazing that it happened at all. But it did. Right, I understand. And here I am, and here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and not not having you know actually been a witness or a contactee um, that can at least in the eyes of the of the you know political government, um, it protects your credibility. Because you're not. It, it shouldn't make a difference. Yeah. It should it not make a difference, but it does. Um, have you um, read the a book called Stranger at the Pentagon? I am familiar with I've, that book and the story. Yes. You, are you are? Yeah, Frank Stranges. Right, 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 right. Yeah, there's a um, a friend of ours who's a um, 
casting director, screenplay writer in, in Hollywood who is doing um, the film The Stranger at the yeah. Pentagon. Do you know Craig Capabasso? I do know Craig Capabasso. He's a friend oh, okay. and uh, talked to him many times. Oh, cool. Well, good, good. Yeah, because he, he's, he's going to... Uh, He's going to present um, truth as well and help to, to wake people up. And we were um, mm-hmm. somewhat we were involved in the in the production of the of the short film. And uh, yeah, yeah, so one day talk to mm-hmm. Craig. Trailer. Tell him mm-hmm. tell him we said hi. Um, I will. And your yeah. audience should know that there's other works stuff in the works. There is a movie called Seven O One. Which is in very has been in, in various stages of production over time, which may ultimately still get done. I think it will. Seven hundred one is is refers to the number of unexplained cases in Project Blue Book, at least the ones that they claim were unexplained. Uh, that's that's out there. Also, very soon, uh, a series is going to be on Netflix, produced by Robert Zemeckis, an A-list major player in in. Uh, in Hollywood, right. and, uh, and, and right. it's called Project Blue Book, and it's about the life of uh, and the story of J. Allen Heine. This just gives you a glimpse that, you know, uh, yeah, we've had 350 or more movies about extraterrestrial fiction. Now yeah. they're starting to do material about the, the, the history, the real history of it, which is another indication that that the people in the entertainment industry the vast majority of which have known for a long time that the extraterrestrial presence is real, but just didn't want to rock the boat. And there's right. plenty to be made on the fiction side, are starting to realize it's time to like, step out and let's, 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 let's start informing and educating people to the history, the actual history of this, the real extraterrestrials, which, you know, unfortunately, or for some, or may, some people may be disappointed, and that the real extraterrestrials are not nearly as interesting as the ones, the fictional ones in our movies, or as dangerous. But right. they're real, and that's what's important. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, even you know, mainstream TV is is opening up, and Hollywood is opening up, and mm-hmm. very often, you know, the the truth kind of seeps out in, in you know from the entertainment industry. To uh, you know, so people, if it freaks them out, they can just say, "Well, it's only a movie." But the ones that know truth when they hear it, they'll know. Mm-hmm. And that's why, and 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 while it is, it has many critics, and I understand it. That's why it's not surprising the most successful series of all time, television series of all time, on the ET subject is Ancient Aliens, now in its thirteenth season. And the reason it is the most successful. There's many reasons. One, it's very well produced. It's got an absolute crackerjack narrator. Uh, you know, the guy can't be paid enough. He, he is key, one of the key reasons that that, that's, that series has done so well. Um, they essentially said, we're, we're going to look at all of human history and look for clues that could be ET related. And they had a number, they had a various they had various research uh, researchers to work from, obviously Sitchin and Van Donniken and others, uh, but they've gone well past that. And they have scoured human history, 
taken us to a lots of places, all kinds of great travel stuff, uh, and they're looking for ET clues. And when you do, they're all over the place. No question about it. Now, there are anthropologists out there that, are, that tear their hair out if they ever watch one of these because they, they, they look for every mistake, which there are some, I'm sure, about interpreting you know, ancient history. Uh, and, of course, many of them don't accept the ET presence. So that drives them crazy, too. But nevertheless, the fundamental premise is correct. The idea that ETs just showed up in 1947 is ludicrous. They've been around for a long time. Maybe not the same ETs. There could have been many, many different types that have turned up over these thousands of years. They come, they go, they have different agendas, whatever. But they, they, have, they have educated people to this possible connection more than any other show in history. And it's about ancient aliens. You see, they're ancient. They're not around mm-hmm. now. There's, it's safe. It's Okay. And so people yeah. enjoy it, and they've got a huge successful uh, show. And but recently, and this makes total sense, they decided it was time to start addressing the modern aliens. And so, because of the work of PRG, and also because of what the, the, the To the Stars Academy uh, emerged with in 2017, they made the decision that they would start going into the modern era much more than they had in the past. And as a result, the very first episode of the 13th season this year began with a two-hour episode on disclosure. And I was uh, finally, for the first time, interviewed for and a significant part of that two-hour series. My work was featured, and it was an excellent show. It's episode one, two hours. You You can see it. You know, up on the you know on the Ancient Aliens website, if you got all the connections, I think it's also up on uh, there's a site out there called uh, what is it called? Uh, hell, it escapes my name, but you can find it. Um, and then they just did another show uh, last week on the Russian connection, which is basically very much about modern ETs, and they're going to do more. Uh, this is another indication of why things are advancing. Uh, also, uh, as you know, History Channel launched a, a conference called AlienCon a couple of years ago. First one to sell up in the San Francisco area, 20,000 people showed up. Uh, uh, they, there was some reconfiguring and a little, some change of management, but A&E is still behind it. And they just held an, the second AlienCon early this year in Pasadena. About 10,000 people showed up, and I presented four lectures there. And in November... Uh, I think it's November 9 to 11. There's another alien con. This is alien con Baltimore. And I will be there and I will be lecturing. And there'll be quite a few other of the uh, ancient alien alumni that will be there, as well as some some television uh, stars and so forth. Uh, And so this franchise is continuing to advance this issue and now is starting to address the modern aliens. And so I hope to see a lot of people in Baltimore come November. Obviously, I have this up on my website. You go to paradigmresearchgroup.org. You can see the links to it. But just do thealiencon.com or alien, Google AlienCon Baltimore, and you can see this. How big it's going to be, I don't know. It's the first one on the East Coast. It's in a highly populated area. Who knows? 30,000 people may come to AlienCon Baltimore. Um, oh, wow. And it's fun, but there's also plenty of lectures. Uh, so uh, it, it gives you a sense of 
of what's what's happening, what's going on, um, and there's more to come. I, I've got 28 conferences listed in my conference section um, this year. Uh, I think maybe maybe 30 is what I have listed. I, I know I missed some, but I got most of them. That's a lot of conferences. I spoke at 15 yeah. conferences uh, and gave 21 lectures through uh, the end of July. Uh, and, of course, I'm going to be at AlienCon coming up. This is not... This is not the kind of thing that happens when an issue is fading. It happens when an issue is reaching climax. Exactly. Um, and it's going to grow even more. Uh, and so all I can say is people get on board, support the advocacy work. Things will settle down after, I think, January, early January. I think we're going to have a political re- resolution of the situation soon and uh, next year. I think the opportunity to really move forward on this will emerge quickly. And disclosure in uh, 2019 is a very real possibility. Wow. Well, we'll just uh, keep keep up the good work and uh, continue to put the, you know, just keep putting the truth out there. So, um, Stephen, we actually just got a caller that came in with one question, and um, mm-hmm. this will be the, the only question because we're just about out of time. So if you would, um, please, we'll be talking to Mike, and he's got a question about a UFO. Hi, Mike. You are on the air with Stephen yes, Bassett. Yes, Go ahead. Yes. Go yeah, ahead with your question. Thank you so much for taking my Thank you so much for taking my call, indeed. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yesterday, I don't know if you saw the news, it was on Daily Mail, and Florida uh, couple uh, saw uh, not only, it wasn't rectangular, it was like a square, uh, kind of a square look like. Uh, mm-hmm. UFO hovering uh, in, uh, over them. In, in the street in, uh, in Florida. So uh, mm-hmm. is that a new uh, aeroplane is made in United States or Russia or China? Or is mm-hmm. that the new UFO shape? I mean, because I have, we have seen it rectangulars or different kind, you yeah. know, it glowing. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, uh, going very fast, uh, etc. But this kind, we never saw it. So what do you think mm. it is, please? Well, I can say this. One, the square uh, sighting is not common, but it has been happening. There have been some of these reported not in different parts of the world. So that's point number one. Point number two, the truth is, uh, since the United States government and probably the Soviet and Russian government, probably. But the United States government has been reverse engineering and studying anti-gravitic propulsion for 70 years. And I'm convinced, and quite a few other researchers are convinced, that we, we re-engineered anti-gravitic propulsion long ago. And that some of the things that are being seen in the sky are, are human craft. And it's almost impossible, unless they land... And it's almost impossible to be certain whether it's human or ET anymore. I, I think, I think, some cases, I think you, you, if they really radically move, extraordinary movements, it's possible they're more likely ET. And one of the one of the one of the, the things that I put out there, which I think is 
uh, got, got some merit, is this. I speculate that as we studied these craft, the crash vehicles, and tried to figure out why they were anti-gravitic, and, and, and very likely did figure it out, uh, th- then the idea of making our own craft, that's tricky. Because these craft, the ET saucers, for instance, are extraordinary designs. Uh, they're often referred to as being singular molds. In other words, no seams, nothing. They're literally made out of a single process, like 3D printing or something. And so it, it might have been, we might have mastered the anti-gravitic propulsion concept, but that doesn't mean we learned how to stick it in a 30-foot saucer. And so I think what we had to do is we had to build our own frames, our own design that would allow us to fit our versions of their anti-gravitic propulsion systems, which is why the triangles, the big triangles, I suspect, are essentially human frames, human craft, uh, designed to allow us to fit the technology into it. Uh, And anything other than saucers, like a, 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 a black square, for instance, could be another example of this. Again, this is totally speculation. But uh, it, it is the fact but, that we don't, we, you can't be certain whether it's human or AT. But, but Iran claimed that they made their own UFOs. I'm sure you remember that. I remember that, that article. I remember that yeah. article. It came out in FARS. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, I don't think it was legitimate. It was not true. It wasn't. Uh, okay. It was a story got picked up by FARS and picked up by the uh, International Business Times. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of that out there. It happens. But and I'm pretty sure Iran has not built an anti-gravitic system. Anything like that, right? But what mm-hmm. what these technologies that we are all having? I mean, AI is taking over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, people are losing jobs uh, due to robots, and uh, you know, masses are going to be unemployed by the year 2025 mm-hmm. or beyond. So, what do you think all this technology coming from? Is it coming from mm-hmm. ET? Uh, partially, or or some all of it, or is I mean it has to come from some uh, superstars to me. Look, I've known a lot of scientific geniuses. I mean, I've met some scientific geniuses in my time. Humans are pretty smart. The smartest of us are really smart, and the vast majority of technology is human uh, created. One day we will learn what role crash vehicles and tech derived from them may have played in the technological curve of the 20th century. We may learn that there was information transfer between ETs and humans. I mean, not crash vehicles, but information transfer. Uh, But that hasn't been proven to my satisfaction, but that may be a factor. And so it may be that a certain amount of the technological curve of the 20th century had an ET connection. I do not think it's... It's a, I think it's a small amount, but it's, it may be non-trivial. It may be a significant amount, but we don't know the, the answer. As far as dealing with this text, all I can say is, yeah, we, we have a, a number of technological thresholds coming at us very rapidly. Some have yes, already, already arrived that are yes. of great danger to us. Uh, and if the world doesn't stop spending... One over one trillion dollars. Well, that's just the, the above ground budget. Between one and two trillion dollars a year on weapons, war, 
uh, defense, intelligence, secrecy, spying, if we don't stop doing that and start devoting our attention to and our resources to how to ethically manage these technological thresholds, then we are going to reap the whirlwind and it is not going to be pretty. Absolutely, indeed. I agree with you. I mean, bravo. I mean, Okay, well, we are um, coming to the close of the show here. So, Mike, oh, yeah. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for calling in and uh, letting us know what's happening down there in Florida. And um, so thank you, Mike, and you know, have a great evening. Bye-bye. And, Ariel, please, uh, look, uh, give it a, a month or two, a couple of maybe two months, and definitely book me again, and I promise you I will not screw up this time. And so your your <laughs> listeners can have a chance to hear it. I'll have I'll have a lot more to say in about forty forty five days. So let's uh, make a note. Get me back on okay. in a while in the not too distant future, and uh, we'll do a proper show for all of your people. Okay. Well, that sounds good, Stephen. And I do thank you for um, your time this evening. And Lavendar, you will um, get him back on the schedule. Um, but for now, thank you so much for being with us this evening. And we totally support your work and, once again, encourage our listeners to take a look at your website, which is paradigmresearchgroup.org. And um, anything you can contribute will help to the furthering of the truth. And that's certainly that all of us, something that all of us can um, get behind. I'm most grateful. Thank you so much, Errol. You have a pleasant, uh, pleasant week. You too, Stephen. And with that, uh, we're going to wrap up here, and I want to thank you all for listening, and we will be back next week. So you take care of yourselves, and remember to find gratitude in every day. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 